Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer to the African deity, Eshu Legba, a deity that lets us know that we always have choices. We are never victims, so we should definitely take a minute, pause, inhale some life-sustaining breath. And, um, yeah. Know that that we are the um, the architects of our own destiny, and that we always have choices. We are never victims. Um, so yeah, I'm so excited today. We're going to have um, BJ Billy X uh, Jennings on the air shortly to talk about Black Panther History Month. And uh, as always, there's going to be there's a whole lot planned and. Here's BJ joining us to just sort of give us a rundown of what to expect this month. Um, yeah, we you haven't missed anything because tonight there's going to be a wonderful opening of a reception, opening of an art exhibit at Joyce Gordon Gallery. Um, good morning, BJ. How are you? I am doing fine. Good morning to you. <laughs> yeah, you are always running, you know, with uh, It's About Time, Black Panther Party, um, uh, archives and you're just you know always having these wonderful exhibits are going up so tell us you know sort of what's planned for uh black panther history month well uh as you mentioned the first thing off the bat is the exhibit at george gordon i was there yesterday as george was putting it up and it's very mm-hmm. looks fantastic you know um uh, mm-hmm. gail solly dixon was a former artist uh, for the Black Panther newspaper, and many of her art pieces appeared on the back cover of the Black Panther Party newspaper along with Emory Douglas. They worked uh, alongside each other back in the 1970s, and she's been doing artwork since that time, so it's a blend of a combination of some of her older works from the 1970s and, 70s and what she's been doing recently. Right, yeah. And there's going to be an art, um, see, an opening party tonight from what six to nine or something like that. From six to nine, it'll be at four oh six Fourteenth Street between uh, Broadway and Franklin, uh, right next to Jeffrey's. From six to nine, um, I think anyone that comes out will be real rewarded with some good art. 
Mm-hmm. So that right. that is that's one thing that's jumping off. So next week is our big focus on October twelfth is a big day. Uh we're working with a group called Life is Living and also the People's Um uh Kitchen Collective to serve breakfast. Nineteen sixty nine the Black Panther Party started the first free breakfast program um in the nation at St. Augustine Church on 27th and West Street. And from 1969 on into the 1970s, the Black Panther Party uh, continued the free breakfast program. We so embarrassed the government on uh, uh, nutrition and providing stuff for, uh, food for people that they started feeding, they started the breakfast program in 1995, and it's continued ever since. So the breakfast program is actually 50 years old. It was started by the Black Panther Party to deal with uh, the poverty level because so many young kids were coming to school hungry at that time. And so in order to deal with that, uh, the hunger and young kids fainting in class, the party came up with the Breakfast for School Children program. Right, so, right. Yeah. So, and and. And you're going to be having, um, they're going to be uh, events that day happening on, on multiple sites, like you're going to be actually at um, Little Bobby Hutton Park, um, um, I guess, giving away groceries? Uh, no. Actually, no? what we're oh, going okay. to do is we're going to be providing a free breakfast to anybody that shows up. Oh, super. Now, kitchen, okay. the, kitchen, the Kitchen Collective, uh, I worked with them last year. Uh, mm-hmm. And last year they served 583 people between 10 wow. o'clock and 12 o'clock. So if you're in the Oakland area and you want, you want breakfast or um, you want to come to the park or come to the festival, um, if you come at from 10 to 12, uh, we're serving breakfast. And also we have a program at 11 o'clock. We're going to have various party members from different um Party offices like uh, Seattle and Houston come in and talk about their breakfast programs and also about the ideology of the party. So on the stage, it's called the, the Social Justice and Food Stage, which is in the parking lot at Bobby Hutton Park, also known as the Firmary Park. Uh, we're going to have the stage from 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock, and we're going to talk about the, the legacy of the Black Panther Party. And from after we have served breakfast, we're going to go over to West Oakland Library, which is right across the street, and we're going to have a photo exhibit there in the multipurpose room from about mm, about 11 o'clock to about 3 o'clock, 3 or 4 o'clock. So everyone is welcome who comes to Life is Living uh, Festival to come across the street to the West Oakland Library and take a look at what we uh, the Black Panther Party legacy. Also, that same day, Mm -hmm. we're having an event. It's called the Black Panther Party Alumni uh, Community Awards. And this is the first time we're doing it. We haven't did it in a long time. So uh, with the – Ruth Beckford died this year. And that motivated us to say, God, you know, because she was a great help to the breakfast program. She actually helped start the breakfast program at St. Augustine Church along with Father Neal. So she was a 
um, an elder that lended the Black Panther Party a hand and guidance. So in honor of her, uh, we selected 10 community people from the community to give awards to. One of them is uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Talbert Small. Oh, he ran the George yeah. Jackson Free Medical Clinic. He's going to be he's going to uh, receive award. J. Alfred Smith of Allen Temple. I spoke to him yesterday. Huh. He said he's going to nice. be there with bells on. Uh, cool. Also, uh, Barbara Lee. We're going to honor Barbara Lee uh, for her work with the party. Uh, Barbara Lee used to work out of my Panther office when Bobby Seale ran for mayor of Oakland in 1972-73. So I've been knowing her since she was in college. She's always been an aide to the Panther legacy. And also we have a brother not many people remember. His name is Mark Comfort. Mm-hmm. Mark Comfort was the Huey Newton of Oakland before Huey Newton. Mark Comfort, mm-hmm. he, there's a pitch. There, he ran a group called ODAC, Oakland Direct Action Committee. And he went to Sacramento with the Panthers in 1967 to pro- protest the Malford Act. He also helped mm-hmm. the Black Panther Party start the first newspaper, even though he had another organization. So we want to uh, send our love out to Mark Comfort, who passed away years ago. And two mm-hmm. party members we're going to honor this year is Pete and Charlotte O'Neill huh. over in Tanzania. Matter of fact, Charlotte is making her way from Tanzania to be in Oakland to receive the awards. Mm-hmm. Also, there's a we're also the award ceremony is going to uh, deal with Miss Ruth Jones Villa. She was a sister from the community. She was an older sister. In fact, she died. She was like 106 years old. She helped start the senior escort program for the Black Panther Party, right? Back mm-hmm. back in the 1970s, before there was direct deposit, people had to physically take their checks to to the bank or the post office, wherever they cast their checks, and there was a lot of violence, purse snatching, assaults of senior citizens. So this was a big problem. So she organized, she, she approached us and told us what was going on with the senior citizens, and our reply was, okay, what we'll do for the first five days of the month, we will come pick up any senior citizen that calls us and take them to get their check cash and take them to get their groceries and take them home free. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. won a lot of favor with a lot of families in the community because everybody has a grandmother or grandfather or somebody retired in their family who has to go through that ordeal of getting dressed and, you know, dealing with the elements outside. So mm-hmm. there's a number of people. Also, uh, uh, there's a number of other people that I don't remember right offhand, but there's about 10 people, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Oscar Grant. Mm-hmm. We're going to, mm-hmm. um, we're going to give uh, an award to the, to their organization for the work they've done in the community. Uh, educating and organizing people. So from 7 o'clock to about 11 or 12 o'clock, we're going to be at Jeffrey's. Um, we're going to have a live band. We're going to have speakers. We're going to have the awards. We're going to have a good time. So if people are interested, they can get a, they can get a ticket at Eventbrite slash Black Panther Party History. Uh, 2019. So you can get your ticket still at Jeffrey's. It's going to be a great event. So we have a number of things planned 
you know. Uh, also, we've been giving we've been giving out free food to the homeless all month long. As a result mm-hmm. of another program we have, uh, it's called the Bobby Bowen uh, Survival Program. And Bobby Bowen was a panther that worked in Richmond, California, as a panther. He was in charge of the Richmond office, but later on. Uh, he got a job as a community organizer for the city of Richmond. So he started uh, a number of programs, you know, uh, anger management programs, needle exchange, uh, mm-hmm. uh, a number of programs around young people, you know. So he died a couple of years ago. So what we've been doing is every September we get together, bag up a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, bags, with a panther on them. Inside these bags are toilet paper, um, personal items, hand sanitizer, toilet paper, food and snacks, uh, deodorant and stuff like that. And we hand those out. Maybe a couple hundred bags up. Uh, each bag is worth about fifteen dollars in in value, which saves the the individual who gets the bag that money. Because if you're homeless, you need every penny you get. So that's a program that we have that's going. That's ongoing, and plus we're going to be giving out bags to the homeless in and around Bobby Hutton Park because there is a couple encampments within two blocks of Bobby Hutton Park. Mm-hmm. So we've been pretty busy. we got a few things going on. And also we have a newspaper that's coming out on next Friday. So we've been kind of busy, you know, uh, preparing for this event. <laughs> Yeah. Um, how much uh, is the uh, the cost for the awards um, ceremony event, uh, the Black Panther Party Alumni Community Awards at Jeffries on the 12th uh, in the evening? How much is, is, is the cost is for that? That is $50. With $50, you get a dinner, uh, live music, good company, and a good chance to meet people in the community and network, and a good way to network with people. So mm-hmm. it's going to be a nice, lovely evening. You know, we try to keep the price down as low as we possibly could in order to have the mm-hmm. event. But uh, right. uh, Black Panther Party History Month, you know, in itself started 20 years ago. It was 20, This is our 20th year of having Black Panther Party History Month. You know, and it was started by direct and file party members of the Black Panther Party, you know, uh, to keep our legacy going because our legacy is bigger than one day, one week, or anything like that, you know. So the whole month, the October is the founding month of the Black Panther Party. Huey P. Newton and Bobby Seale started the Black Panther Party in October 1966. So, i.e., that's why we have Black Panther History Month in October. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself and um, and – you know, in your connection, you know, sort of going way back to the Black Panther Party um, for self-defense, and and one thing that I know that you always highlight, you know, is the um, um, the rank and file members. Um, you always sort of lift up their names, the people that are not necessarily in the headlines, but they're doing the work, and um, oh, yeah. and without whom, you know, there would have been no Black Panther Party for self-defense. That's right. And, and also, That's you know, right. the nature of the party being not just, you know, um, 
a national organization. It's an international organization that's still, right. like you mentioned, the, the uh, free breakfast program. You know, children are still eating in the morning because of this program. And then you think about the uh, the free um, the clinics that Black Panther Party for Self Defense opened. And you're honoring, um, you know, Doctor uh, Small, you know, who um, you know actually uh, ran one of these, and he was like the Panther Black Panther Party physician. And then you think about elders who. Um, who are no longer with us, who established the uh, the West Oakland Mental Health um, uh, Clinics and program. So anyway, yeah, could you talk oh, yeah. a little bit about, about your own um, connection okay. and, well, and give us some more information about this legacy? Okay, I'll make it real quick. Well, I moved to Oakland in 1968 from Coronado, California. I graduated, the night I graduated, I moved to Oakland. The reason I moved to Oakland because the United States government was starting a new selective service program called the lottery. And the smaller town you lived in, the more chance I thought you would have a chance of being drafted. So my first political move as a 17-year-old high school graduate was to move to Oakland, move to a bigger city to avoid the draft. And in doing that, I went to Laney College and I had an 11 o'clock to 11.50 um, criminology class. And during that class in the summer of 1968, I heard some chants coming from the Alameda County Courthouse. It was free Huey, free Huey, off the pig, free Huey. And it, it was a clarion call to me. And so after class, me and my partner bounced out of class, and we walked around to we heard the chanting, and I saw people surrounding the Alameda County Courthouse, and in fact, it was the day the Huey trial started. So I listened to what the Panthers were talking about. I, at the time, I was reading a book called The Autobiography of Malcolm X, and they were saying the same thing that Malcolm was talking about. And one day, uh, I was living in East Oakland on 75th and Spencer, a couple blocks from the Alameda County Court, uh, Alameda uh, Coliseum. And my neighbor came home and she was driving a big Panther truck, and I asked her, was she a member? She said she was, but I could talk to her husband about the party. So later on that evening, about 730, I went over to her house, and me, he and I started talking, and one thing led to another. He and some other Panthers invited me to a Panther rally at Bobby Hutton Park, and I went to the rally. And I seen the whispers. The whispers were was performing. They were a young group. They didn't have a record out or anything. The whispers performed and Faye Carroll performed. It blew my mind. And so mm-hmm. after that, I kind of became a Panther in training, which is like a six to eight week training period that you have to learn about the politics of the party. You have to read like 30 books. You have to obtain a weapon and so forth. So I joined the party. Uh, we had an office on 73rd and East 14th in East Oakland, ran by Robert Bay, and I was a rank-and-file party member. I sold the Black Panther Party newspaper up and down East 14th. I dealt with the business people. And so in 1969, Black Panther Party started the free breakfast program at St. Augustine Church. Each Panther office has to send two people over to the breakfast program to learn how the breakfast programs ran. I was one of those persons they sent over because I was still going to Laney College. Right. And so mm-hmm. I learned, you know, how to set up breakfast programs and how to run breakfast programs. So in East Oakland, we started 
three breakfast programs. We started one in Jingletown. We started one at St. Bernard's Church, and we, we, we had another breakfast program down in Brookfield off of 98th and Eads Avenue down in Brookfield. So we had three breakfast programs, and then we opened a community center on 99th Avenue, and we had a breakfast program there. So my time in the party is kind of dealt with organizing, uh, BSUs, Black Student Unions, on the Black Panther Party newspaper and doing party work. So later on, I was transferred to central headquarters of the Black Panther Party around 1970, and I was David Hilliard's aide. Then uh, Huey got out of jail in 1970, and the Central Committee, who is the governing body of the Black Panther Party, decided I, I should be Huey, one of Huey's aides. So when Huey was let out of jail, he was let out of jail on appeals. That means he had to go to court every day. So I was his aide that went to court with him every day. And so I worked with Huey and his family. Uh, then in 1972, I was drafted into the Bobby Seale for mayor campaign. I ran Bobby Seale's uh, main campaign office over in East Oakland off of 54th and East 14th. They did a party, uh, did party work. Then um, in 1974, I started working at the Oakland Community School as a program director, bringing um, talent and entertainment in, entertainers to to the center to check it out. So if, like, Arthur Ashe came to town or Aretha Franklin or someone like that, uh, we would make contact with them and invite them to the school, see how our program was running and so forth, right? So one of the people that really helped us was my Angela. She donated her time and service for the school. Matter of fact, she was our English teacher for a while. Really? So we had a number of celebrity-type wow. people, high-quality, huh. like um, Charles Moffat, a noted jazz person, played with Charles Mingus, Miles Davis, Arnett Coleman. He became our he became our music director, right? So we was we was uh, attracting a lot of high talent to the party. Our editor at that time was uh, David Du Bois the son of E.B. Du Bois, you know. So the Black Panther Party was well-respected throughout the world. Matter of fact, it on the whole global scene, we must have had six or seven strong supporting offices. We had one in Israel. There was Israel Panthers. There was Panthers in Africa. There was Panthers in London. We had an office in um, Australia. Uh, we had an office in, I think, down in one of the Caribbean islands. I'm not for sure. But we had a number of offices that supported our legacy in different countries. As a matter of fact, when we had the 50th year reunion, some of the same Panthers came from London and some came from New Zealand to participate mm-hmm. in the Black Panther Party 50th in Oakland at the Oakland uh, Museum. Right. So the yeah, party sure was, was well respected. Uh, party grew from a small group into an international group. Mhm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering if you if you could um you know sort of in your closing um because you have like seven minutes um when you mentioned that you were in East Oakland um I think you mentioned um 
the Black Panther headquarters. I was wondering if you could you could talk about that that Allen um, Temple connection and and um, uh, Reverend Doctor uh, J. Alfred Smith, who's being honored at the um, at the community um, what do they call community awards um, community uh, awards dinner. Yeah, next okay. week. Yeah, yeah. Talk talk a little bit about that because that is really okay. fascinating. And then, and, and of okay. course, you know, tie that into Huey P. Newton and and his family. Well, you know, uh, Black Panther Party, we our national headquarters, our first headquarters was in North Oakland where the party first started. So over the years, the party offices moved. We had an office that was on Forty Fifth and Grove that got shot up. The night that Huey, the conviction came by the police department, and we moved from there to Shattuck Avenue, you know, 3106 Shattuck. And then from there, we moved to 1048 Peralta in West Oakland. In 1972, we moved to 85th and East 14th. Now, at that time, we brought the property adjacent to our office. So we own uh, land beyond our office, right? So mm-hmm. uh, at that time, uh, Father Earl Neal was our minister that we kind of dealt with during, you know, uh, for religion, right? So he presided over a lot of things that we had, like funerals, weddings, uh, George Jackson funerals and stuff like that. So when he moved away to another church, um, J. Alfred Smith, took over the mantle, and he presided over a lot of party um, functions. Like if a party member died or a party member got married or something like that, he would provide the services for us. Uh, In 1972, when Bobby Seale and Lane Brown was running for mayor of Oakland, Allen Temple was a base for us. We used Allen Temple to as a voter registrar occasion. If you want to become a voter registrar to register black people to vote uh, in this upcoming election, they had seminars there on a continual basis. So we would send people to Allen Temple so they can, you know, sign up to be a voter registrar so they can go out and register people to vote. Um, they We had a number, of, a number of their people from the congregation have been a strong supporter of the party. So when the party... Um, was going downhill, fading out uh, in around 1980. Uh, the Black Panther Party sold, is, sold the office and the land around the office to Allen Temple for under the value. This is one thing that Jeffrey Smith always emphasized. They sold it to us under the value. They could have got more money from us, but they didn't. You know, So we sold it to them. They built it up. And right now, if you go into, they have an office on 85th part of their building. It kind of extends like the whole block. But if you go into their facility, uh, they have a plaque to the side noting that this was the uh, central headquarters for the Black Panther Party. You know, So they mm-hmm. have been an intricate part. When Huey Newton was murdered in 1989, the funeral was held at, at, at Allen Temple, you know, and J. Alfred Smith presided over it. You know, we have that film on our website. It's a very rare film, but in that film, Ron Dellums is the keynote speaker. Ron Dellums laid out the idea of a Million Man March. 
A lot of people think Farrakhan came up with that. Ron Dellums came up with the Million Man March in 1989 at Huey Newton's funeral. That's where that idea came from, you know. So mm-hmm. there's a lot. Alan Temple is like a, a refuge in the dark in, out, out in East Oakland. He does a lot of good work. And J. Alfred Smith, they are working on doing a, a book for him. And in our archive, we have photos of him organizing different lawyers and and different ministers to do certain things in the community in the 1970s. He must appear on the pan, uh, on the front cover of the Panther people at least seven or eight times. <laughs> he he was a very strong worker, you know, dedicated to building up, you know, East Oakland and building up people's self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. he well and- he well deserves it. Right, and and Allen Temple Baptist Church is is celebrating its centennial this year, um, its um, 100th anniversary. So it's it's really fitting, you know, that um, you know that now that you're bringing back the uh, the community awards, that that you also um, you know honor honor this this um, man and and the legacy of of that particular community. Oh um, yes, we have to because it's our job. It, you know, the part of the Black Panther Party job was to educate and organize the people. And still, it is our job today. We are setting the example. This is how you honor people in the community, you know, who mm-hmm. have long sacrificed and, and done things beyond the call of duty. You recognize them and say, job well done. You can't, you know, Miss Beck, Miss Ruth Beckford died what, before we could say that, and that would pro- prompted us to, hey, to have these awards. We can't wait mm-hmm. to people die, you know. Right. So we're having them now. We want people to know that these people helped us. The Black Panther Party did not stand alone. Mm-hmm. Right, and, definitely. And we needed that and, guidance. And, we needed that guidance from older people, from the elders. Right. Yes, yeah, certainly, certainly. And and your you know your online archive is is really phenomenal. So why don't you give our audience the uh, the website again? Okay, well, you can. Uh, we have a lot of website information at www. It's about time, all one word. It's about time. Bpp. dot com. It's about time. Bpp. dot com, and you can find us on Facebook at Black Panther Party fiftieth, and also it's about time slash Bpp. Every other day, we put information on about our legacy, about what's going on in Oakland, what's going on in the community. So if you're on Facebook, I would check out those two pages. And if you're doing research, uh, go to our website. And we, and we have a phone number and an and a email there. So if you have any questions about what you see or you want to contact somebody, you can call the number and somebody answer the phone and get back with you. Right. Yeah. You can, you can give the web the e um, the email address and the phone number as well if you like right now. Okay. The email address is it's about time three, like the number three, at Juno J U N O dot com. I can I can be reached there. Uh, if you're a student doing research, or if you're an educator, uh, we also do Black Panther Party history tours. Where we take people around to the to the breakfast program first site, we take them around to uh, Merritt College, explain how Merritt College was an institution in the community that fostered Huey Newton and Bobby Seale and the first Black Student Union in America. So there's a lot of information in our city 
that people don't even know about, you know. So history is a weapon. That's what we say, education. We have to educate to organize. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, um, uh, BJ, for joining us to talk about, um, you know, just a real brief uh, way, just a brief um, synopsis about the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. And I'm so happy that, you know, that that archive exists and that you um, are, you know, just, you know, doing the work um, of keeping this information (coughs) alive and available to people, um, which is really, really awesome. I want to make one point, one point Mm -hmm. before I leave. Many people don't know that the 1977 Disabilities Act, the Black Panther Party had a hand in that. The 1977 Disability Act that now that deals with handicapped uh, people, different people with disabilities, that was that was supported in the very get go by the Black Panther Party before it even became law. Because when the homeless people took over HEW, as it was called, Housing, Education, and Welfare Office in San Francisco in 1977, they took it over for 15 days. Black Panther Party was instrumental in that happening. And so when people, when Congress came back in, they summoned all these people to come to Washington to testify. And as a result, we have the 1977 Disabilities Act that affects every city, every county in America. But people who don't know the Black Panther Party had anything to do with that whatsoever. Wow. And that's a, and that's a big yeah. thing, big thing. Mm-hmm. It is, it is. I was going to see if maybe just for maybe for 12 months we could just have you on um, and and maybe we call it sort of, uh, you know, just, you know, sort of having a conversation with you about, you know, the legacy of the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. And we could just take this conversation in different directions. So maybe this would be part one of a 12-part conversation. Maybe. Because maybe, we talked about. Maybe that's possible. Yeah, and then we can have a book, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I'm, I'm working on a book right now, but I, I have so oh, many super. other activities, you know, that, that mm-hmm. kind of right. takes me away from writing and concentrating on that, right? So mm-hmm. there could be a book, uh, a magazine about Oakland mm-hmm. because, you know, I was in Oakland during, you know, the 1972 elections of Bobby Seale and Lane Brown. That changed Oakland dramatic, dramatically, even mm-hmm. though they didn't win. In the next election after theirs, you have Anna Wilson, John George, uh, 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 Chicano people winning seats on Oakland City Council and supervisors. And that's only because of the Black Pan- the work the Black Panther Party did in 72 and 73. You know, mm-hmm. they owe their jobs. People today in those jobs. They owe their jobs to the Black Panther Party. They may not know it. They might not even have lived in Oakland during that time, but they have their jobs directly result of people uh, 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 voting and registering to vote and supporting the Black Panther Party. That would mm-hmm. change Oakland right there, you know. Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, there's laws on the book. There's a law called the Bobby Seale Law mm-hmm. in, in Oakland. It's called Bobby Seale Busted the City Council and they had a law. They put a law on the book so that the city council can't have secret meetings without the public being there. Huh. That's called the yeah, Bobby Seale Law. Huh. huh? Wow. 
Yeah, it sounds like the Brown yeah. Act. Well, uh-huh. they might have called it Brown somewhere else, but they called it the Bobby Seals. Bobby Seals <laughs> Act. Uh, <laughs> and, and, yeah, because he's the one who busted them on it. Because they would have sit around in, and be in back rooms discussing public business without the mm-hmm. public being there. Right. So this, yeah. you know, there's a lot about about Oakland that people don't know. You know, in mm-hmm. terms of uh, 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 development and growth, Mary, the story of Merritt College, the Merit, the story of the migration of blacks from the South to Oakland. You know, majority of people in the Black Panther Party uh, came from somewhere else. Bobby Seale mm-hmm. came from Texas. You and them came from Louisiana. I came from uh, Alabama. Most of us are from the South. Our parents migrated mm-hmm. to to California to get those better jobs. Mm-hmm. So there's there's yeah. a whole history in that, you know. Right. Uh, the yeah. fact that you know, uh, I tell you one like the fact that Huey Newton was the Black Panther Party was so influential that the movie, the, the TV show, The Jeffersons, was created. By Norman Lear, but Norman mm-hmm. Lear had a meeting with Huey, and Huey said, <laughs> criticized Norman Lear. He says, "Why does all your characters on TV are all living the projects, or do they don't have a, a a strong male figure in, you know, in the family or anything like that?" He criticized him hard, and so what he did, Norman Lear was create the Jeffersons, hmm. and and he gives Huey Newton credit in his book. He says Huey Newton gave me the idea of the Jeffersons. <laughs> he said, "There's more." He said, "There's there's there's successful black people out there." He says, "My dad has been in the house. You know, we own a home, mm-hmm. so you just can't stare up. You can't can put people in a box and say all black people are like this and show it on TV. Mm-hmm. You got to show them in another light. I.e., you have the Jeffersons." Wow! Black wow! People that's amazing. Powerful. Powerful. Yeah. Well, I got to run mm-hmm. right now, but I tell you, I would love to engage <laughs> and talk to you at another time. Okay. If you can, whenever you decide to invite me back. Okay. Thank you so much, BJ. Right, I really Wanda. appreciate it. <laughs> All right. All right I'll talk to the people, and I hope people come All out right. to the Black Panther Party Community Awards at Jeffries. Mm-hmm. Right. And I want to right, ask you before you, you take off. Oh, wait a second, BJ, real quickly. Um, my next guest, um, <clears throat> Alan Clark, he actually has um, a new book series that's um, actually going to be um, – uh, it's going to be having its, its, its reading. Um, uh, Alan, why don't you say hi hi to BJ and tell him the name of your um, your new uh, graphic, um, <clears throat> not your graphic book series. Oh, thank you. Hi, hi. Thank you. Thank you very much. You um, good morning, everybody. Good morning. All right. um, as mentioned, I'm doing a graphic novel series called Rise of the Black Panthers. And it is a graphic novel series which starts off in the transatlantic slave trade, the first chapter, and then and that first chapter ends with the beginning of the um, like the civil rights bill being signed into action, and the second ser- second book which just came out, Rise of the Black Panthers Two, In Search of the Black Panthers, is the be basically starts off with the assassination of Malcolm X and how that becomes the emotional trigger that spurs Bobby and Huey into action. And that's, and then the graphic novel series just I do, I try my best to encapsulate as much of the, because there's a lot of history 
that the Black and a lot of action that the Black Panthers have performed, a lot of good. So I tried to encapsulate all that in a five-part graphic novel series. Sounds good. But you, like you said, 1965 was a very important year uh, for the development of the Black Panther Party. The party wasn't started in 66, but that 1965 had great bearing on what was to come in 1966 with the murder of Malcolm X in February, uh, the beating of the people on Selma, on, on, in Selma, crossing the bridge, the enactment of uh, 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 enactment of certain laws, and then you have uh, President Johnson at that time signing the voting right bill, making it able so black people could vote. And also mm-hmm. the same year, 1965, down in Lowell County, black people voted for the first time and used the Panther on their ballot mm-hmm. in 1965. And that is where the Black Panther Party gets its Panther from. A lot of people see and, in the movie The Panther, and they think that the Black Panther Party was started from some moves from some comic. We go back further than the comic. We go oh, back no, to 65. No. I tried to you know, I, I I I cleared that up in the graphic novel that the Panther right, symbol yeah. was used as a voting symbol to try to help you know um, it's explained in the book and I don't it's it, the comic book and Marvel appropriating our history due to their need to create whatever entertaining yeah. entertainment entity to whatever I don't. I don't address that. That's not ne- that's not necessary to address. We don't need Disney right. to appropriate our history anymore, or right, right. or Marvel or any of their entertainment, you know, agencies or entities appropriating and mining our history so they can have something to put in their comic books. Right. So, uh, how can I find your first book? Can I, can I go online and get it? Yes, you can find my books at a website called phantomelectric.com, Phantom Electric Phantom. with a K at the end. I think I sent I sent Wanda the information. Um, okay. Yeah I, can, yeah, I can send it to you, BJ. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, that would be great. That would be great. And, um, and if you're, I have a, if you're I around have a, next week, go ahead. Oh, I have a book talk at Alley Cat Books. In San Francisco on October 11th. October the 11th. Okay. Yes. Alley Cat Book. What? Oh, it's going to be from seven to nine. Okay, seven to nine, Alley Cat. Okay. Uh huh. And the address that that address would be where is it? Thirty thirty six twenty fourth Street, San Francisco. Thirty thirty six twenty fourth Street, San Francisco. Yes. Okay, I'm writing it down now. Hey, thanks for the information. And I'm sending, and I'm, I'm gonna... I, I just sent it to you um, as well, BJ. You can put it on, okay, on your website. Okay, <laughs> right, right. Thank you so much. Okay, well, I tell you what, uh, I'm looking forward to meeting you one day, and I'm going to take a look at your book, and uh, maybe we can have lunch one day and discuss, you know, the legacy of the party. Oh, that would be amazing. Thank you so much, sir. I, I will greatly right. appreciate that. Okay, then you take it easy. Hey, Wanda, you take it easy. I hope yes. to see you on the 12th. Yes, I will be there um, at one of those All or right. some of those. <laughs> There's too much happening, but yes, definitely. <laughs> I hear that. Okay, then. Right. Well, you take it easy now. Stay strong and all Thank power so to the people. All, all right. power to people. Tell Gail I said hi. <laughs>
Oh, wow. I'm so happy uh, you all were able to, because um, BJ was saying he had to, like, leave really quickly, but I'm so happy um, you were able to talk, and I'm glad you're going to be able to connect because, um, ah, your series, you know, this this graphic novel series, graphic book series looks really phenomenal, Alan. Um, so tell us um, more about about the uh, the five-book um, series and uh, and sort of your um, inspiration for for the books. Um, okay, so the five part series I which I, I, I mentioned a little bit earlier mm-hmm. starts off with the the first chapter starts off with the transatlantic slave trade, which gives um a very brief understanding of why. Why the Black Panther Party formed to begin with. And a lot of people maybe currently may not be completely familiar or aware. I would find it hard for them not to, but maybe due to ignorance, they shield themselves from history. But why black people, why we as a people might have such a distrust and why we, and our history of how we got here, how we have moved from, you know, a very Horrible, you know, experience where we have been terrorized, when we have been tortured, and we have been systemically plummeted with violent action after violent action. And the Black Panther Party is the result of mainly the, what I try to express, the expression of Malcolm's dream come into fruition. Mm-hmm. And I want to explore that in the book. I want to explore not just Bobby and Huey's um, um, participation or their, their, you know, their creation, but the whole of everyone else, BJ uh, and every other member from the young to the old to the women to the men and how they collectively, how they as a collective force made change happen when there were no alternatives available. They created, I mean, mind you, I believe BJ, I mean, BJ articulated it perfectly, but what I try to do is make it very simple for all ages to understand, to experience, to relate, to sympathize, to maybe even themselves pursue actions for the better good, for the betterment of humanity, for the betterment of each other, for the betterment of self. Mm-hmm. And I tried to explore that with the Panther book. I tried to explore how two people in time became a nation of people. Mhm. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I was looking um at at your bio. Sorry, it's it's so early and... in the morning, so I, I apologize. That's <laughs> okay. Um, and your bio, your bio is is, is it's um. Yeah, it's a different kind of bio. <laughs> it it says if if uh it says your friendly neighborhood supervillain and ontological uh mechanist uh 
moved to Oakland to write his latest graphic novel series in search of the Black Panther Party and also franchise villainy uh, to the West Coast. Um, You're also the author of the sci-fi soap opera, Babylon, and the founder of Phantom Electric Comics. Um, You studied thermodynamics and theoretical physics at Georgia State University. And, again, people can visit um, um, phantomelectric.com. Let me spell that for folks. P-H-A-N-T-O-M-E-L-E-C-T-R-I-K.com. And um, just wondering if you could, uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about about the move and – and and I really I really like it that you bring in um to the conversation um uh the transatlantic slave trade um you know uh, which was implemented by you know Europeans and Arabs and <clears throat> and facilitated um by you know other African people but who didn't necessarily benefit much and then ended up getting um becoming a part you know of of you know the victims themselves, you know, when they were sort of, when they were colonized, um, and, and people in countries just coming out of that, you know, in the past uh, 61 and 61 or so years, um, you know, 50 years. Um, so people, uh, Afri- the African nations haven't been independent and, and self-ruling and self-governing for a long time. I mean, it's it's been a real short time. And so when we look at what's going on, you know, in the on the continent, um, a lot of it, wouldn't you say, um, has to do with um, sort of an immature kind of system and, and people not necessarily remembering how things were before this, colon- this, this colonial takeover. Well, due to the colonialization of the African continent, it's really hard to go back to any previous government because a lot of that infrastructure and a lot of that, a lot of the information and the infrastructure was decimated, destroyed without any ability to reclaim or to rebuild in its previous glory uh, or in its previous state, whatever that may have been. A lot, many of the, uh, many of the countries, majority of them are, experiencing either you know, um, Chinese interest coming in and providing them with maybe aid in one way, but then taking advantage of them in another way. And many of these countries, many of the African countries have experienced this kind of, you know, action, not just from the Chinese, both from the Americans, from the Europeans, they disguise aid as this, but aid is really them a, a way for them to infiltrate and manipulate. And the most of that continent has dealt with so much manipulation across the board, across the you know centuries that. I I I don't know how one would recover. I'm not as depth as in depth as I wish I could be about those those issues. 
Um, what I do try to explore is that when at, when those when the first slaves were stripped away, and then when we created this kind of like market system, well, you, when the United States government created this, well, well, let me go back. Let me step back again. When the market system that was created by those European powers, by the Dutch, by the Belgians, by the Italians, by everyone, everyone had a little, had a little piece of the pie. That in itself created a diaspora of trauma. And I, I think we, we, we don't really um, see the, the spectrum of trauma and the spectrum of disaster, the spectrum of terrorism that has been implemented upon us generationally. And I, I want to explore that in the first issue, but not, mm-hmm. but not centered on that. I, I just wanted to show that that was, that this had, this experience is part of our DNA. This experience is part of our ancestral knowledge and it mm-hmm. is inescapable. Um, what I wanted to show with the Panther novel with, is that even or not just with just the Black Panther Party, but that we as black people have always strived, have always, like, regardless of what has been done to us, we've always risen up from that and has built something out of nothing so we can, like, ensure our survival. That mechanism has, is, is as deep and deeper inside us than any trauma can ever be implored upon us. Mm-hmm. And I guess I want yeah. to explore that. And more so the collectiveness, the collectivity, the collectivism that the Panther Party also demonstrated. I want to also articulate that more, the ability that we can collectivize, the ability for us to um, create the systems that we expect our government to provide, but we know our government will never. What the Black Panther, what I, from my research, the Black Panther Party created just an infrastructure that was, that should have been provided to us by the United States government. But they said, you know, if you're not going to do it, we'll do it. And that made them a threat to to the United States government, Cointel Pro, FBI, CIA, everyone wanted a piece of it. They were like, you are a threat to us because you are providing infrastructure when we tried our best to never, like to apply, that give, to give you the chance to provide yourself with infrastructure. They've bombed us, they've attacked us, they've lynched us, they've done everything in their power to make sure that we never become competitive. And the Black Panther Party said, F that, we're going to do our thing, but we're not going to do our thing in the same light as the way you've done it. We're going to do it in a way where we are inclusive, but we're also at the same time going to rise up for, the, for what the people need. They spoke for the people because they listened to the people and they acted on behalf of the people. 
Mm-hmm. I think. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, I had you on the air before, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. We were and then talking I about the actual at- Black Panther movie. Right, the film. Yeah, that was a really wonderful conversation. And then I met you at the um, uh, George Gordon Gallery's uh, Oakland Youth um, uh, Festival um, last year and got a chance to, um, and I think I took a picture with you and um, Bobby Seale, right? Yes. Yeah, that was yeah. Have you yeah, have you had a chance to, like, does he know about this wonderful rise of the Black Panthers? Have you had a chance to talk to him about this or share this new work I, with him? I have spoken with him. I have not shared the new book with him as of yet, but I am planning on doing so soon. I just have to get some more copies, which I'm waiting okay. in the mail right now. But I, spoke, mm-hmm. I, I, I had the opportunity to speak with him, and as it was – you know, a just a well of stories, and mm-hmm. I think Bobby Seale is a great storyteller. He he's great at really getting you to be involved in the story that he's telling you, and I I, I felt very honored to be in a, a person of his ability in his presence. Just to be in his presence was was in awe. I mean, mind you, I've been stalking them for a while. <laughs> like, oh, finally. Mhm. Yeah, yeah. Um, did uh, any of these conversations, any stories that um, uh, Bobby Seale tells, um, did that influence or or shape any of your um, of your writing of of this? Um, of this series? Well, I believe, I mean, I try to make sure that their story, their words are, are, are on the front of this book. So everything they say, everything they do, everything they have, I try for it. I, I allow it to influence what I'm trying to create because this is their story. And I want Mm -hmm. to, write their story in the best way that I can, hopefully by using okay. their words or comment, just them. I, 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 try to, I try to tell their story as best as I can with a combination mm-hmm. of, you know, their words and my understanding. <laughs> oh, nice. So from what I understood from what you were telling BJ, all five parts are not written yet. Or are they? Um, three three parts of it is written. I mean, most of it three is parts. like okay. like two of the issues are out. Third one is mm-hmm. finishing, and then because mm-hmm. I have to draw all of this, illustrating right. it sequentially is one of the things. But I all of it is written out. All of it has been is planned out. I just have to finish mm-hmm. drawing all of it, which I'm assuming will be maybe over three hundred pages. Nice, nice. So, yeah, wow, that is so awesome. So, so you tell us that it starts, um, uh, you know, um, in you know before this nation, and it starts. It starts off know, in sixteen nineteen. Okay. Oh. Okay. So I start okay. off in sixteen nineteen, and I I jump to 
then I, I, I cross, I, I travel across history, um, pointing out different, like Frederick Douglass, Harriet Tubman, mm-hmm. Sojourner, Sojourner Truth, and various mm-hmm. other, you know, prominent leaders around that time. And then I gradually move to the second issue where it starts mm-hmm. off with Malcolm X, and then the third mm-hmm. issue, so on and so forth. So I take a very important, powerful moment and let that become the emotional trigger to to be able to tell the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So give us the details. So um, the second one starts with, with Malcolm X and then mm-hmm. EJ, um, you know, and you gave us a really wonderful um, sort of capitalization of, of some of the key moments in 1965. Um uh, surrounding, you know, that particular moment that you highlight. And uh, so then what what happens in um, part three and four and five? What what years are, are, and what are the trigger moments? Part three, I follow the Free Huey um, campaign, which starts off with the Free Huey campaign. And then we show okay. the rise and the growth of the Panther Party starting to expand across the nation and different mm-hmm. offices across the East Coast. And and that starts to build up. And that's where the third issue is the power of the people. I, sh- I show oh, okay. the growth of the Panther Party after issue mm-hmm. two, where it ends with Huey being arrested for the, for the, um, for the altercation he had with Officer Fry, where Officer Fry right. ends up being killed. But it was... I. Because of altercation, I mean, mind you, the the police system was not kind. <laughs> I'm not saying that anything has changed, and and so issue two ends with that. Issue three goes with the camp with the Free Huey campaign, and issue four ends up with Bobby Seale running for mayor, and then issue five shows I mean well issue four shows the you know the the Fred Hampton and mm-hmm. then then Bobby Shield runs for mayor and then Elaine Brown takes over the party and then mm-hmm. or when Elaine Brown takes and all these, you know, just trying to legibly cram so much history into a book. <laughs> yeah. And that that's the juggling act is trying to cram so much history and try to get people like Erica Huggins um, mm-hmm. and Satura and, and I, I just, the list goes on of very prominent, important, brilliant, passionate people and mm-hmm. have their history, have their story and have those. And to read a, um, very, yeah, like, like, yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah, just these people who just Tariq, sacrificed you mean, you mean their lives. Yeah. yeah, wow. And mm-hmm. and just to, to to just to tell their story and mm-hmm. to and to make sure that their stories not just for me writing them, it's just for our generation, but because mm-hmm. the education system has no interest of telling our story. And we have to we have to make it our interest to tell our story, and we have and I want to make sure that this is 
this is within the range of not just you and I reading it, but children also reading it. A range of people can also just pick it up, read it, and they can be infused with whatever they gather from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So, um, so these um, uh, sort of Black Panther Party legends that you mentioned that are still, um, you know, sort of walking, uh, you know, the streets and and you know you can actually meet them. Did you in, interview them? Um, did you? How did you? I, did you do I primary as well as secondary research? How did you do this? I I mean I you know reading whatever mm-hmm. whatever literature they were able to that they have ever printed or published. I I've, mm-hmm. I've scoured through that. Um, I've met them. I, I've interviewed a few of them. I mm-hmm. and the interviews will be seen in the fifth issue where I where I show oh. those interviews. Um, mm-hmm. So just one part stalking and one part reading. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you put a lot of time in this. How how long have you been working on on this particular uh, five part uh, graphic novel series on the Black Panther I moved Party? For to Oakland. Oh, I moved to Oakland five years ago, so I think about five years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you say that you moved here specifically. Um, yeah. You know, to do this. So I can. Yeah. Yeah. I moved up here to just find old black people and ask them, so when you fought against the man and the government, how did it go? Tell me everything. <laughs> yeah. And, and the re- yeah, and the reception was, I presume, excellent? Oh, yes. 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 It, mm-hmm. it was, It was. I mean, they, they them helped their, they, they were all, from everyone I've met, they've been very willing to share. They they mm-hmm. do not want this 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 moment to pass. They don't want the information that they've gathered and they've learned and what their experiences they've endured to go without others knowing. They want people to know that what they've done and what they've accomplished. Because when you mm-hmm. listen to the radio or you listen to, like, you know, when the news do, like, oh, the Black Panther Party, blah, 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 it always goes into, like, oh, they armed themselves, they had guns, and yada, yada, yada. But they never go into deep detail how much they've changed the landscape of politics and, even, and more importantly, how nonprofits operate, like, they wouldn't nonprofits would not have a manual if it wasn't for the Black Panther Party. What they've accomplished, nonprofits and various organizations have been mining for like years. The fact that what uh what BJ was telling us about what laws were put into place, how they've how what influence the Panthers had over, you know, this thing and that thing. It's vastly important, and it's everywhere. It's everywhere in Oakland. It's everywhere in the nation. Like, oh, yeah, this was influenced by the Black Panther Party. This was influenced by the Black Panther Party. This was done because of the Black Panther Party. And the more you hear about that, it makes the whole, yes, they also had guns, mean nothing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
It's like they, we we focus on the arms, but we don't really fi- focus on the action. And the real action was the breakfast pro program, the clinics, the the schools, the the, the pro every program that they've put into play. Some organization has mimic, has cloned, has you know Frankenstein themselves a new one. Mhm. Yeah. And it's very obvious that you know we many many of the things they don't get credit for is something they were the first ones to do. Mhm. Right. Yeah. So um, next Friday, October 11th, from seven to nine at Alicat Books, uh, thirty thirty six twenty fourth Street in San Francisco. Sounds like they are very close to the 24th Street BART station, so you don't even have to drive and look for parking. Um, You are going to um, have, um, I presume, a talk, and Issue Mm -hmm. 1 and Issue 2 are going to be available. Issue 1, The Middle Passage, and Issue 2, In Search of the Black Panthers. Um, You're going to have those in hand for people to be able to get a copy and get your autographs? Yes. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, so can you share some of the uh um the writing um in uh in your book? Um, I usually just let people just read I'm never good at reading it and I, I like people oh. to just it's a comic book so it's it's kinda of like mm-hmm. it's not just reading, it's you have to look at it. So I mm-hmm. always feel a little odd when people say Hey, well, reads like, no, it's a comic. You have to look at the pictures, too. You know how long it's going to be to draw them? <laughs> no, you're going to look at the picture. <laughs> okay. part of the experience. Oh, certainly, certainly. All righty. Okay, well, if that's your, if that's your answer, no problem. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so um, yeah, how, um, I don't know, just the whole idea of, um, you know, your introduction, you know, as uh, the friendly neighborhood supervillain, like, what do you mean by that? And the ontological um, uh, mechanicist. um, Mechanicist. Yeah. Mechanicist, yeah. I usually see the idea that, you know, in a world where everyone, like, okay, today everyone wants to be a hero. That just Mm -hmm. usually means you just want to keep up the status quo. I'm not interested in that. When being a hero is ideally just going around and having a bunch of people take pictures of you while you prance around and and you you know it it seems to be okay to be malicious. It seems to be cool to be vile. It seems to be cool to be disrespectful. And so the villain of that must be compassion. Mm-hmm. So my active idea is saying that if if it's okay to be a disrespectful person who has no kindness in them and who is, then the obvious villain of that must be compassion. And if that is the case, if it's if it's okay to and if it's part of the norm to be a vile, spoiled, entitled life form then perhaps the opposite of that is try to use compassion and kindness. Therefore, that is my act of villainy. Mm. 
compassion. Okay. Compassion and kindness. Okay. Yeah. And ontological is just like weaponizing the mind. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> so how how did um you know, um a thermodynamic and theoretical physicist um who studied at Georgia State University, um, you know, decide to um travel here and and write books and draw draw you know do uh il- you know do uh, graphic graphic novels like yeah i always wanted to do comic books i've wanted to do comic books since i was young and science mm-hmm. has also been another love science fiction has been that love so i guess combining those two was mm-hmm. was was gradually was going to eventually happen um i I guess I didn't want to pursue the hard science in like the field of, you know, academia because I did not want to go and die of debt. <laughs> uh-huh. mm-hmm. I, didn't, I had no interest of dying of debt. So I, I guess I pursued comics as my full time passion. And that, is where my my passions like keep that's what what keeps me alive mm-hmm. and what i would like how did i get here um to trial and error <laughs> but mm-hmm. i've always also wanted to be in california i moved here from atlanta georgia but i'm not originally from atlanta i've lived all across all sorts of places. Atlanta was a place I've lived for one of the longest times, and I guess next to California. And when I moved to California, I wanted to pursue, you know, comics like anyone who moves to California. I guess that's what they do. I don't know. I do not have a good track (laughs) record. And Mm -hmm. when I finished my last graphic novel series, which was uh, The Daily Earth, which was a an anthology of news stories, sequential news stories that I did about the world. I did a I did stories about the Arab Spring, the Egyptian Revolution, the the murder of Trayvon Martin, the Boston Marathon, and I turned these news stories into comics, sequential stories, so I could be able so it, so more people can read news and they can understand news and. It, it, it pretty much a lot of people are very visual, also are visual learners, and they can understand, or they they'll be able to understand what's happening around them when it's not just in just word form, but it's also like sharing space with a visual format. Mm-hmm. And I did an entire year in 2013, 2014 of those stories and my next evolution from that was to do something a little bit more historical something a little bit more not so much timely but timeless and what inspired me was the panther party and what they were able to accomplish who they how they who they were able to inspire and just the entire catalog of what they were able to do and accomplish was astonishing. And I felt the urge to document that into a comic that could be easily digestible 
with the masses. I also change, I turn people in the comp. I feel like this is an important um, matter in the book, is that mm-hmm. I anamorphosize everyone. I turn black people into panthers, white people into canines. Oh, okay. So there is this kind of, human beings have always anamorphosized very complicated stories because I feel like there is a universal factor of they can understand the story when no longer their faces are behind it, when no longer, when human faces are no longer behind it. There's a, there's a, I, I feel sometimes there's a mechanism that clicks that they are willing to have more, more open arms to a story than they see human faces. And I, and also the idea of just like, the Black Panther Party and Africans and Black people being Panthers kind of sold itself. Mm-hmm. There's um, a lot of anamorphization. There was a lot of using of the terms of the like calling cops pigs. So cops are pigs right. in the story. Um, mm-hmm. Asians are rabbits, and just like the the whole the whole the whole book is translated in that way. So. It can it can invite a larger audience to understand American history. Hmm. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That is really, really, really awesome. Um, yeah, I was. I'm really happy that you know you sent me the information about about the. Uh, you know, the release of, of this book, um, you know, parts one and two and the rest is coming as soon as, you know, you finish drawing it. Um, yeah, yeah, this is really, really great. And I wanted you to let people know again how they can get copies, you know, of, of the uh, the five volumes, you know, as, as they become available. If they can't make it to the um, the bookstore to meet you in person, Um are, are any particular stores carrying um, your books as well as I know you can get them online. You can tell people how to do that too. Oh, okay. Well, there is phantomelectric.com, the website, which I would implore people to um, to buy. Then I am surrounded. I You can buy them at E.M. Wolfman. Uh, E.M. Wolfman is located on 13th and Franklin, I believe. Let me look. Yes, it is no four ten thirteenth Street, Oakland, California. They are a local bookstore. There is there they there I you can usually find them in local bookstores in the Oakland area and in Alley Cat Books after the book talk. But mainly the website. Okay. Okay, great. Nice, nice. Or if you find yeah. if you see me in the streets, I probably have a copy. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, wow, well, continued success on on the uh the drawing so that you could get them all out. Um because Thank this is so really much. really historic um, you know, that that you are, you know, that you are releasing, you know, this this series um of graphic novels in in a in this year, you know, um 2019. Um, 1619 to 2019, which is, um, uh, you know, there was a um, uh, there was legislation passed, federal legislation passed um, to honor 
you know, African-American history this year. And um, sort of looking at the founding of the first uh, English colony, you know, um, in Jamestown, Virginia. And um, so for, you know, you to have this book come out, talking about what was going on on the West Coast, and people don't even think about sort of the history of enslavement on the West Coast, and there's significant history of enslavement on on this coast, um, and uh, and a lot of great, you know, ancestors. Um, some people, you know, really well known like Mary Ellen Pleasant and Colonel Allen Allensworth, and um, and uh, uh, Leonsdorf, who was like. Um, who owned so much property, so much, so much land, and it was stolen from his family. Yeah, and then you know, then we have talk about the Black Panther Party for Self Defense. You know, sort of uh, descendants of all of that, that great organizing and entrepreneurship. So yeah, yeah, really, really great. And I'm sure um, this is this is purposeful. You know that that you are, you have done this. This year, and then think about October. I didn't even realize that October 31st is the centennial anniversary of um, the Honorable Marcus Mosiah Garvey's um, Black Star Line ship launch. Wow! Like, wow! Yeah, yeah. Isn't that something? Like, really? Like, whoa! And uh, and this weekend in Sacramento, they're having um, their Marcus Garvey celebration that they normally have in August because his birthday is in August. August seventeenth, but it's happening this this October, this weekend, oh, that, and so that's perfect timing too. Oh, that is amazing! That oh, that thank you for informing me on that. Mhm. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no problem. I can send you send you the information about that too, in case you want to go check it out. Oh, please! That would be amazing. I would love that. Yeah, because I think I think um uh was a uh. Wose Church, um, W-O-S-E, uh, in Sacramento, I think they're sort of key in the organizing. But, um, yeah, someone told me about it that I had, because I hadn't known about it until um, like a couple of days ago. And so I was like, oh, okay, wow, this looks really, really, really um, important. And so, yeah, yeah, if you go, definitely um, I would love to hear, um, <clears throat> you know, sort of, what you think about it because I think it might actually it might actually start today. I know it goes through Sunday and um and maybe I'll be able to let our guests know as soon as I find that information. <laughs> the more details on it since I don't have them right at my fingertips. But um but I'll definitely send them to you. Um so Alan, do you have any anything else you want to tell us about about this this wonderful series that um is definitely hot off the press and continuing to be hot off the presses. <laughs> the rise of the Black Panthers. Uh, again, um, people be able to meet you and get copies uh, October 11th, uh, Friday 7 to 9 at Alley Cat Books, um, 3036 24th Street in San Francisco. Um, all I have to say is, A, thank you. Um, you know, <laughs> Really, what I have to say, I don't, I, I, you know, I, I moved up here trying to, I don't know, just be another person who tries to keep history going and history alive, and I feel honored to do that. I, I hope I don't, you know, 
disrespect anyone. I, I hope not to, you know, say the wrong thing or or misunderstand anyone's, you know, personal story. I, I hope to articulate the this the the fight of the people and the struggle of the people and I, I hope to I hope that I do not do any disservice to it. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, well it's certainly an important story and really happy that you're making it um available in a way that you know reaches reaches um a larger audience. Um, cuz definitely people like you know um to look at beautiful pictures and 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 that format, you know, will grab grab the attention of of folks that maybe um hadn't necessarily thought about um you know, this story in the way that, you know, you are able to depict it um, before, you know, same information but different packaging. So, um, yeah, it's a really important story. It is a story that um, we can claim, you know, here in the Bay, <laughs> you know, um, Oakland, California, you know, that um, has is known for a lot of things, but, you know, it's good to be, you know, this little revolutionary spirit that needs to be continued and and not allowed to to perish uh, is inspired by you know knowing the stories of of people like um Huey P Newton, Bobby Seale, um Elaine Brown, um uh Tarika Lewis, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um Erica Huggins Dr. Erica Huggins, she just got an she's got a doctorate <laughs> from um what is it? The uh, um, I think it was the uh, California Art Institute honored her and um, and um, Emery Douglas and I'm not certain if it were any other, but I know they both were honored and they are all they're both doctors now. <laughs> oh yeah, so that's really awesome. Doctor, yeah. Did you? Oh crap! They reached Doctor Powers. Yeah, Doctor Powers. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it just happened this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, this is amazing. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, keep up the good work. And I'm looking forward to Thank seeing you. um seeing the work in my hand, you know, as opposed cuz you one thing about I don't know why they have so many websites with, you know, comics and graphic novels cuz it's not the kind of thing that 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 sort of um reads well on on the screen. You need to have it in your hand. Mm-hmm. Looking at those things on screen is like, you know, yeah, that's nice, but you don't really get the flavor, the same flavor as seeing it. Like, oh my God, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's really looking forward to actually having it in my hand. So, um, once you have all five, will you be able to people be able to sort of get them all like in one swoop? Yeah, I, it will be collected into like a a, 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 a compilation of sorts. A, gra- a complete okay. graphic novel. Okay, super, super. So, yeah, I'd like to use it in my classes um, at the college where I teach. I think it would be really, really useful. I like teaching graphic novels, and this would be nice having having someone like, oh, my God, he's in Oakland. We can have him come over and give a talk. <laughs> excellent. I would love it. to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. All righty. Well, you have a good rest of the morning and uh, much success on on getting the book finished. And, uh, yeah, look forward to seeing you at something. Maybe I'll see you, um, you know, next week at 
um, some of the uh, the Black Panther History Month uh, events on Saturday the 12th, because that'll be the day after your event. So oh. you know, maybe you can bring some of your books. So there's so October the 12th. What's happening? Mm-hmm. That's um that's when um oh, yeah that's what BJ was talking about. He was talking about all of the uh, special activities happening around the 50th anniversary of the um, free breakfast program. So as a part of Life is Living, a a wonderful community um, uh, event that happens at uh, Little Bobby Hutton Park or Defermary Park, they are going to actually be serving breakfast from 10 to 12. uh, I think they did it last year too, um, sort of uh, honoring that legacy. And they're going to be giving away – uh, bags of food and other types of items to people that are under and unhoused. And then after that, they're going to be going, and they're going to have a stage um, where they're going to be talking. And then they're going to go across the street oh. to um, West Oakland Branch Library and have a an art exhibit there, as well as people are going to be dropping through the talk. And then that evening is the Community Awards Dinner at Jeffrey's um, Inner Circle. So it's like a whole day-long series of things that are happening. And then tonight, a really wonderful exhibit opens at George Gordon Gallery. Actually, the exhibit opens when George Gordon Gallery is opens today. But tonight is the artist reception for uh, Gail Asali Dick, uh, Dixon. She uh, was one of the women um, artists uh, for the Black Panther Party newspaper. And, and she's also you know, a fine artist, and so she's going to have art her her work is the feature for this um this month at George Gordon Gallery. So that's this evening and that's today. That's today? Oh that's thank today. you. Uh huh, sure. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what you missed when when you didn't tune in earlier. So I just gave I was trying to figure out like well how do I turn in on this? I was looking on the website and I was like, Oh, I need to go on the phone <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well I will um I will forward, just like I sent BJ your information, I will forward what he sent to me, and that has a, he sent me um, in a uh, uh, in a JPEG everything I told you about what they're doing um, next week and what's happening tonight. So I can send okay. it to you and have it in writing. <laughs> Thank Alrighty. you so much. Oh, no, no problem, no problem. So it was really good. I'm so happy you were able to join us. I think it was really great having uh, you and BJ on at the same, you know, in the same show, sort of add some continuity to this for our, our audience. And um, so I'm getting ready for my next guest to join us. So, yeah, I want to wish you uh, much success again um, in completing this, this graphic novel. And I was wondering, in, in closing, do you still do the news, um, you know, the graphic news? Are you still doing that? Are you doing anything around around the impeachment Um uh, hearings, um, anything around what's happening at the borders with immigration? You doing anything around I, any of those? I am, yes, I will be doing something dealing with more so the immigration and more along the lines of the immigration and the concentration camps we have. Oh, super, super. Like awesome. Yeah, send me yes. links because um, I love to use that in my classes because um, I'm teaching a critical thinking class. I think they will really, um, really appreciate that as well as a couple of um, 
English, well, actually three English 1A classes, freshman comp. So I love to bring that into the discourse, um, the analytical discourse. Yeah, so send me links, um, you know, once you have that up. Okay, I will. Well, thank you All very right, cool. much, and I, I, I hope to hear from you soon. Oh, yeah, certainly, certainly. All right, and vice versa. <laughs> 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 All right. You take, okay, care, take care. You take care. Peace and blessings. Bye. Bye. Peace and blessings. So we are going to um, as we wait for our next guest to join us. We are going to. Um, um, I'm gonna play. Uh, uh, Tile and the Get Down, Stay Down, We the Common. Love that particular CD. Oh, there's my next guest. Oh, well. <laughs> ah, right on time, too. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm fantastic. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, you are my first of of the uh, the powerful women um uh, trio from Ia Ia. Congratulations on that wonderful, wonderful, um, uh, I guess, experience. You know, wow, three, three plays. You know, um, yep. I mean, it, I mean, it was like, you know, I didn't know. I mean, I knew there were three plays, but then I didn't know there were three plays, right? I mean, to have that kind of vision, um, Ayodele and Zinga, Doctor Ayodele and Zinga, was just like. Phenomenal, you know, but gosh, you know, you all at the lower bottom players, I mean, that's what you do. You just bring us such healing ritual theater, and this was like all women, all women, all you women. know, writers, you know, solo performers, you know, women who are like holding space within their lives for a lot more than what we saw on stage. I mean, you know, just think about the work, you know, that you do when you're not performing. And the work that Kat Brooks uh, does when she's not um, performing, and then the work that uh, Karishi, um, uh, what's Karishi's last name? Wigington. Wigington, yeah. What she does, I was just thinking, I just got something about, you know, she's taking some young people to South Africa <laughs> in December again. Yeah, I don't she's know what done that is. multiple times. I'm glad. She has, she has. I'm glad that component didn't escape you. These are all oh. North American, African women playwrights who are holding spaces in their community and happen to be tremendous performers. And mm-hmm. all of this, all of this, while walking with all of the things they carry, you know, and still going yes. forward. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. And then you know. Um, you know the stories that you tell. My goodness, um, we really did need that ten-minute intermission. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like it was philosophical when when you said at the beginning, yeah, it's the three hours of theater, and and you say, well, yeah, people will say, ah, wow, that's like Shakespeare, like August Wilson. It's like, well, yeah, it is, it is, you know, that quality, and um, and and then and then when we 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 get the little break, it's like. People like were getting up. They, like I, I saw some people that sat, you know, like after they saw um, Karishi's piece, they didn't get up. 
But you know they got up after Cat Brooks. <laughs> yeah. You know when they after they yeah. finish, you know with oh my goodness, hearing Tasha's story, they had to get up. They had go to for move. a little walk, take yeah. a stretch, go look at some art. <laughs> mhm, mhm. Mm-hmm. I um would like to call your attention too to the way that the presentation moves. We start mm-hmm. with the personal, your own body, mm-hmm. your space. The personal, mm-hmm. your life, your experience. Mm-hmm. That's what Kairishi brings us, right? Yeah. Then, yeah. And, we're, and we are traveling as black women, okay? Mm-hmm. And, right. And remember, these stories and exemplar for all stories. So we're, we're traveling as black women in the totality of our experience. So the body, the personal, mm-hmm. the intimate. And then we go to the institutional, how mm-hmm. our body is treated in other places and how it's valued or not valued, how it's neglected and disrespected, you know, unprotected. And Mm -hmm. then we go to the ancestral, the lineage that encompasses Mm -hmm. all of that, the extreme personal, the violation of home and body, and the absence of space to call your own, a place to put roots down, to grow from, and this magnificent story that does start 1,000 years before the story of Christ. And through all of what we've seen, the violation of the personal and the um, institutional mistreatment, which is symbolic for our, what our sojourn in America has looked like, institutional mm-hmm. mistreatment. And in glory, we delve into other institutions, the institution of slavery, of owning people, you know, um, the institution of extreme poverty. What happens when you free a people with nothing? Mm-hmm. In that story of survival, that story of we still hear, and that story of we remember. And we own all of it. It all belongs to us. And mm-hmm. we're, we're not only resilient, we are creators. We we literally create the path on which we walk. And women are creators, you know. And mm-hmm. women overall, I hope as the one of the last lines in my play says, this is a story of bad things that have happened to women. The play is a, a, a story of bad things that have happened to women in three particular situations. But it is also... Uh, calling your attention to the fact that bad things happen to women of all colors, shapes, and sizes all the time. Mm-hmm. And that perhaps we might need to be more attentive. Black people are always the canary in the coal mine. What you can do to us, you eventually do to everybody. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, um, I like to do smart work. And I just want to make sure you notice all the other bells and whistles there besides the dynamite stories and performances, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, And but, you know, um, you, you do do smart work. Uh, that's, that's one thing we can expect uh, when we come to um, one of your productions. And, and, and just looking at the image of Iaia's House of Burning Souls, um, I have what is mine in, in quotation marks. And 
say a trio of women shows by North American African women, and then you know, and his lower bottom player season twenty reclamation, and and there you are in the center of of the two women, you know, the other, you know, your co your co conspirators, so to speak, and you've got mm-hmm. like a rifle, and then on and you all have on ceremonial a white, and in the background we have photographs of of ancestors, and yeah, and we and we see that we see that rifle on the set, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and it goes off a couple of times, and 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 it's like wow, it so the ceremony, we see the ceremony like within the image, and 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 then and but then when we walk into the theater, you've got these uh, wonderful, um, you know, uh, Gail Mayun's, um you know, protection shields, and and mm-hmm. they have like these names. Death salutes the uh, the foolish. Mm-hmm. Is it foolish? Foolish, and then mm-hmm. connective tissue um, beneath revolutions and Mary don't weep and divine ramifications. Uh, spirits in uh, Haiti, uh, so coquettish. Uh, memories of waters. Um, Spirit gonna let loose some spirits. Get off the grid. Um, is it blocked? And then century. Um, so it's like all this beautiful work that's sort of surrounding us. And then and then on the walls, I wanted to ask you, what are those those little whimsical kind of images painted on all the sides? The style is um, called one liners, and uh, the entire what? Set, Say it again. The, the style. It's called uh-huh. one-liners. Those one are faces, liners. Oh. And, they're, and they're all they're created for one single line. The artist puts his pen down, and when oh. he picks it up, there's a face. Yeah. Um, those oh. are done by my son, Jalil and Zinga, uh-huh. who also oh. did the uh, the flames on the set. Um, that's another oh. thing about the lower bottom players. You know, we are a very small budget company. Everything we do is art. I want to shout out um, your daughter. Tatian Sabir, who's our our graphics wizardess, um, uh, we've been working together for years, and she's responsible for the photography in those images and then the graphic work that's done around them. Um, I mm-hmm. want to shout out, like you said, Gail Madhune. Those are one of a kind protection shields. We own ten of them, and uh, mm-hmm. we display them at different times. Um, mm-hmm. And then on the wall, because it's Ia Ia's house of burning souls, right? We have mm-hmm. uh, the flames that surround the set, and then floating mm-hmm. between the protection shields and the flames are the souls. Ah, okay. In ancestral white. Mm-hmm. Wow! Yeah, yeah, and and in the lobby you've got these this wonderful um, paintings of a mm-hmm. Haitian artists. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and um, and then and then you also had things people could buy. Like I didn't know y'all had CDs and things like that. CDs and these are iconic images that we created for Ia Ia. So those images mm-hmm. are going to be around for a while. We've got uh, posters. Mm-hmm. And we did a set of greeting cards with them um, mm-hmm. that you'll certainly see again at BAMFest 2020. 
um, and they have become a part of the merchandise that we will always be offering. The CDs that we had on sale were by Quran Streets, a former Mm -hmm. lower bottom player who's now uh, doing movies, and uh, Mm -hmm. uh, that was his latest CD. And so we support Mm -hmm. um, our artists, we support all local artists, and we definitely shout out the people we have springboarded to uh, bigger platforms, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because um, I think um, the last time I saw um, uh, Karan Streets um, in a in the uh, film was in uh, Kicks, right? Yeah, he did Licks, he did Kicks. There are a couple of mm-hmm. other shorts who just finished the mm-hmm. film, and mm-hmm. I'm excited about uh, something they're shopping called Land of No Pity. Um, it's full mm, film. No it may go mm. either way. It could go in theaters as a film, but I think that mm. the idea is to turn it into a series. Um, mm, okay. And it's it's edgy, kind of like The Wire or mm. other other that kind of uh, set in reality, gritty, telling a true story. Um, mm. That premieres uh, in L.A. on uh, October fifth. And while we oh. while we found him out, Karan Streets, uh, along with Adimu Madhum, are the mm-hmm. only actors in the world um, to do all of August Wilson in chronological order. Because of course, the Lord Bottom Play is the only troupe in the world to have ever staged all of the work. And Karan mm-hmm. and Adimu appeared in each each uh, installation of the Century Cycle making them the only two actors in the world who've ever done so. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. That was um that was a phenomenal undertaking. I remember when, you know, the century ended on your birthday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a hell of a present to give yourself, make world history. you know, mm-hmm. nice. we do phenomenal though. Right, right, yeah, yeah. So back to EIEA's House of Burning Souls, um, you know, which mm-hmm. closed um, last weekend. Um, so, folks, we're talking about something that you missed. Um, <laughs> but anyway. We love um, you anyway, but, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so tell, tell us how, how did you um, happen to curate this, um, you know, because when um, we got to um, – you know your story um you know uh glory i actually um i actually know not just yours but as you know when i um uh you know when i saw karishi uh wigginton's too much woman for this world um i saw resonance of that in um in cat brooks tasha i mean i even heard it to the point of i heard i heard lines from uh Carisha's uh, Too Much Woman for the World, This World, in, I mean, coming out of that character or her mother um, or the nurse um, who um, mm-hmm. watched, you know, Tasha killed and then and then the murderers look at her like, well, how are you going to get, are you going to get us out of this? And she's like, no. <laughs> I, I love that character. But anyway, and then, mm-hmm. and then when, when you, um, you know, presented your glory, I I heard it sort of all came together. So I was just wondering, you know, how did you curate this? I mean, uh, because uh, Kairishi said you knew all of the pieces. Um, 
But um, not, not, I mean, I don't know if, but Kyrie didn't necessarily know Tasha, you know, Cat's piece, or your mm-hmm. glory, mm-hmm. and and, mm-hmm. and and the same, you know, for Cat knowing, you know, too much women woman for this girl, you know, Kyrie's piece. Um, she might have known yours, but I'm not sure. Um, I'm sure that Kyrie has seen Cat perform Tasha before. I don't know if Cat had ever seen Kyrie perform too much woman for this world. Okay. Um and Gloria, as you know, um was originally commissioned for Afro Solo. Um right. so it was presented a world premiere in Afro Solo in twenty eighteen. And mm-hmm, the piece right. has evolved and been developed. I think I, I had a twenty minute slide in Afro Solo. And so the mm-hmm. piece has been developed into a full 45-minute at this point in time, one-person show. I have been working with Kairishi on Too Much Woman for This World for uh, over eight years. Eight years is probably oh. a fair estimate. Okay. And I have been working with Kat on Tasha since she wrote it. Um, mm. She wrote it oh, originally yeah, for... Uh, yeah, uh, I she do wrote it originally. Yeah, and so um, I am not just a playwright and not just a director. I produce theater, so mm-hmm. as, as, as that means that I have certain work that um, the artist and I are associated with certain pieces of work. You know, another mm-hmm. piece of work that that I produced, and it sits in the same relationship, also by a female, although not North American African, is Charlie Levin's work, the One Truthiness. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, I have produced and directed both of those pieces before, and I have followed Tasha as it moved through winning Best of Fringe, and Tasha mm-hmm. is about to be staged as a full production at Three Girls Mm -hmm. Theater, and I'm not sure what relationship I'll have with it in that production, but like I said, I've been with the work since the uh, inception. I was her original dramaturge. Um, Mm -hmm. The pieces are not purposefully interrelated. They share no language unless it's Mm -hmm. accidental, and in the commonality of there's a, a through thread through the experience, certainly mm-hmm. of, of North American African women, but there's a through thread through the experience of womanhood, and there is actually a through thread through humanity. I don't know if I said it in the curtain talk that night, but I generally told the audience not to think that the only thing they could get from watching those stories was an insider view of what it's like to be black and female in North American modernity, that mm-hmm. you might actually look at them as a lesson for how to be human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So commonality, I think that um, the order serves the work well for the reasons mm-hmm. I shared earlier. We move from personal to institutional to uh, transformational. And mm-hmm. I actually started out the production with a different order. We were I know doing you me. did. Mm-hmm. We were doing me, and then we mm-hmm. were doing Kairishi, and then we were ending with Kat. And right. we, did it, we did it like that for one weekend. And people oh. came to see it. And mm-hmm. 
they I got uh, a comment from Marvin X for he actually reviewed it and talks about this. Um mm-hmm. and I got a comment uh from a, a couple of other artists who were curious why my work didn't close the show. And mm-hmm. so that suggestion allowed me then to observe the progression that was possible by staging it finally what we did for the last three weeks, which is opening mm-hmm. with the personal, moving to the institutional and ending with the transformational. Right. Yeah. Because when I came um to see it, um uh Kat uh was was um out in the lobby talking to us about whether or not there was gonna be a show because of the um Pride night, Pride weekend, and yeah, uh, and 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 how you had had the matinee, and I think you only had one person, and so and so it was still in that order, you know, glory too much woman for this world, and mm-hmm. then Tasha after mm-hmm. the intermission, mm-hmm. and 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 I guess you didn't have three intermissions either at that point, right? You just had one. You didn't because I began worried about the length of time. You know, most Mm -hmm. people say that you should, you know, the optimal time is maybe around an hour, 45 minutes with a 10 or 15 intermission in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. And Uh that all goes to what people can pay attention to, right? But you got to understand that I cut my my bones with LBP on rewriting Shakespeare. Those are three-hour productions, and we didn't spare any pageantry, you know, music and all of that. And then we went into August Wilson. Mm-hmm. Wilson doesn't have a play that's under two hours and something, you know, mm-hmm. and there are a couple right. and there are a couple that do run three hours, right? Mm-hmm. So, I I worried again about people because this is our work, right? This is something I'm curating, and mm-hmm. actually, as we presented it, there's that moment as a producer, as a director. As a performer, when the light comes on and you understand you have magic in a bottle, when you just plainly understand that you are at the top of your game and you are doing something extraordinary. Like you said, the weekend of pride, we actually pull shows. We pull mm-hmm. shows because a light bulb had came on for us, okay? And so <laughs> when we turned the the order around, we also Mm -hmm. understood that each piece of work was so heavy and so magnificent and had so much Mm -hmm. to offer that it would Mm -hmm. do a disservice to them if there wasn't a palate cleanser between them. Mm -hmm. Some people had to come to Ia Ia's multiple times in order to see all the shows Mm because they got to a point where, okay, can't hold anymore, or they watched Mm -hmm. Pat Brooks and like, oh my God, gotta go. But I heard mm-hmm. about your piece. I've got to come back and see it, you know, <laughs> or people who came mm-hmm. to support a particular artist. You know, maybe they came mm-hmm. to the theater late because they just wanted to see Glory. And then they heard people talking about Tasha and Too Much Room for This World, and they came back to see the other right. show. And mm-hmm. then it is a part of artist healing. And one of the reasons I make art is for me, Making art, writing, doing theater, writing lyrics, music, movies, all of it helps me understand the world. Mm 
It helps me understand myself. It gives me a context. So for me, when the light came on, I kind of knew we get to take three hours if we want to. This is mm-hmm. every bit as potent and, and full of medicine as Wilson is. Wilson was one of my teachers. I'm trying to share with you what, what, what Wilson taught me. This is Cat Brooks, classically trained actress, doing a hood tale at the top of her game. This is Kyrie Wigginton, a too much woman for this world, a piece that I knew was dynamite eight years ago. And we have prayed over it, poured hoopy dust on it, you know, <laughs> argued and lugged it out. And that piece is a diamond. And mm-hmm. for one of the few times in my life, I can see me. And I'm at the top of my game. And Glory is immaculate. So I decided mm-hmm. we could take three hours. We could win another intermission, Okay. And so, yeah, it, it's, mm-hmm. um, like I said, doing the work is healing. And so we, mm-hmm. we came more into ourselves in the process of doing the work. And I think that if Kai or Kat joins us or if you get a chance to talk to them, both mm-hmm. tell you things shifted for them as a result of this work. And that's been my experience mm-hmm. with other work. And so when mm-hmm. you when you say, you recognize the fact that we do healing rituals and we serve medicine. That makes me feel good. It makes me feel mm-hmm. seen. It makes me feel like we're doing our job. Mhm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They um they haven't joined us yet. I um I sent um Karishi um a text when you when um uh, when she didn't join us to tell her to join us and I had I didn't hear from from Kat one way or the other. So I wasn't I don't sure know if Kat is in, I don't even know if Kat's in town. Um right. You know Kat mm-hmm. is a Kat's a tumbleweed. Here today, mm-hmm. there tomorrow. It's hard <laughs> to hold her in town for the length of the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was a that was a feat, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, it was you had a nice Mhm. Yeah, you had a nice, nice long run, like you were like the whole month of September almost, which is really excellent. And yeah, a lot we of special events. Yeah, we are into four week runs at this point. Uh, that's mm. just a a, pro- a progression on mm. our production model. You know, we, nice. we started out in the yard. We started out doing, um, I think, uh, it was ten shows, but it was crammed into two weekends. And we were mm-hmm. doing matinees and night shows on Sundays and Saturdays. And then we right. had the Friday night show, but, but we only ran two weeks. Mm-hmm. The problem with that is we were doing work too clean not to have it be reviewed. And so we finally understood mm-hmm. the formula. You have to run at least three weeks to mm-hmm. to be able to get professional reviews. Mm-hmm. And so when mm-hmm. we moved downtown, we moved into that format of three weeks. And then Oakland's just a... Uh, an interesting place right now. The town is obviously in flux. There was so much going on downtown when we opened. There are all the road mm-hmm. closures. There's all the development. Yeah. They detoured mm-hmm. a bus. There was the mm-hmm. pre-Pride event and then the Pride event. Then right. at Ogawa Plaza, 
they had a rave or something where they blocked off the entire city hall, and then they mm-hmm. shot a movie right across the street from the theater. Mm. So we are a troop that does a lot of walk-up business. Um, we are mm-hmm. we don't necessarily sell a lot of free soul tickets. So all of those things were were detriments in audience actually getting to us. And so mm-hmm. the fact that we were able to be open for four weeks paid off in the end. And some of all the extraneous uh, frenetic activity that the town is filled with at this point sort of settled mm-hmm. down, you know. And by that time, enough this work, even though it was really difficult to get audiences and we pulled shows in the beginning, the work is so powerful until what brought this work to the public was not an excellent marketing campaign. It was word of mouth. People came mm-hmm. and saw it and were blown away. And they went home and got their folks and said, you got to get into the theater. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Because I know that the, uh, when, when you all pulled that show, um, uh, Kat was saying, you know, everybody, should, when, they, when you come back, bring somebody. So I made sure, you know, when I came back that I had somebody with me because I said, they can't pull it. <laughs> I really need to okay. see it. <laughs> and I was so glad you came back. I emailed you a couple of times. I was like, oh, yeah, I got your text. And, yeah, it's like, where is Wanda? How come she didn't show up yet? Yeah. Um, yeah, I got Thank you so much because um, sometimes I'm like, I don't know that something's happening because you are the woman who's doing everything. You are, you know, doing the, cons- you know, you know, the, the creative conceptualization of the works that you're going to be staging like you do this season. And then you are director a lot of times, and then, and you're in, in the play. <laughs> and this one here was a solo piece, so that's, you know, I'm sure is a lot more energy when you are the only one in the work. Solo work is hard, but I, I think mm-hmm. I love it. I, um, mm. I did a, a two-hander. <laughs> a couple of years ago for, um, oh, God, I can't think of his last name now. His first name is Michael, and I can't think of the name of his troop. Illuminous, that was the name of his troop, Illuminous. His truth has mm-hmm. since dissolved. It's hard to keep a theater company alive. That's why I keep uh-huh. reminding people you need to celebrate the fact that we're in our 20th season. But I did a mm-hmm. two-hander called Going to St. Ives. First of all, I'm mm-hmm. going to produce that again at some point because it was a beautiful piece of work. But it was a two-hander, just two people, and mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that work. And, you know, um, Opal Palmer gave me bathroom queen, graffiti, uh, graffiti yeah, bathroom yeah. queen. Yeah, yeah. I remember I, when you I, did that. I, mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked doing queen a lot, you know. Um, I can't tell you the queen has gone away. She might make an appearance. But uh, uh, so I'm, I was <laughs> attracted to the work. And so when Afro Solo gave me a reason to actually develop a, a, a one-person piece, it, it, it fell right into what I was hungry for. And I'm going to spend a year amplifying the voices of North American African women and talking mm-hmm. about things that are particular to women. Um, nobody else might notice it, but I think my, my practice has been skewed toward the plight of the North American African man. 
Um, right. I think ho- I think holistically, I think in family units. But when you fall into Wilson's world, Wilson's stories are men's stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I want to give voice to the things that concern me as a woman, as a mother, um, a daughter, you know, um, a lover in this world. I, I want to for those things to have voice. And so, yeah, it's, it's just, this is a really good time. I feel good about, about making art right now. Mm-hmm. Right. Good. Excellent. And so um, I wanted to ask you what's up next for this season. And uh, you mentioned uh, something really disturbing about the flight deck and how expensive um, it is a day um, for the theater space to yeah. be able to um, be in that space because of the new building that's happening all around Oakland, but specifically right there on that corner of 17th and Broadway. Yeah, and then we've got Carmel right around the corner, and then, you know, we've got the building going up on the state development, going up on the parking lot of uh, right across from Malanga. It's mm-hmm. causing a shift, and that takes me into a story of another hat that I wear because for a moment, what LBP is going to do is shift over and support BAM CDC. Um, we have to finish the negotiations with the Orton family about the Calvin Simmons Theater and the Henry J. Kaiser. And one oh. of the reasons that was such an important fight is because mm-hmm. we are losing performance spaces daily. And mm-hmm. over four, over 45% in an old study, so by now it's, 50 or, 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 or maybe closer to 60% of Oakland's mm-hmm. artists have experienced displacement. For the last three years, besides making art, and this goes back to the symbolism in the picture for Ia. As you pointed out, you have three socially conscious women who have lanes out there in the world that they're working in trying to make change. Um, and you'll notice that me in the middle, I got a shotgun. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting down in the center because I've been carving my lane for a long time, and I think I'm representative of artists who made art in Oakland when it didn't pay well, when you had to come out your pocket, when you you came down to the backyard to see us. You know, on one hand, that was a theater that was built for me. On the other mm-hmm. hand, in order to do theater, I had to get somebody to build me a theater because you had to make space here. And we held on, and all of us have been looking for Oakland to get it to do. And then Oakland gets it to do, and in the process, we get kicked in the teeth. We get washed out like it's the flood. Venue prices go up to the point where you can't afford them. And what happens to how you pay artists? Because living wage all of a sudden, all of a sudden is something like $30 an hour. So how do you do business? Well, I decided when they declared the Black Arts District is that I didn't have the luxury of sitting in my ebony tower anymore, that if I wanted to make art here, I had to fight for it. It wasn't going to do me any good to sit up and complain. I had already written academic papers warning people about what was coming. You go back to 2013, and I wrote uh, Gentrification, No Resting Place, a three-part article that actually prophesied this moment. So Hmm. 
we have to fight to stay here. You have to fight to make art here. And it can't be a war of words. You have to be willing to give us your time, your energy, your intellect. You have to grow the capacity of people who have taken on the burden, and it is a burden, to go to city council meetings, to talk to developers. It's a burden even to try to grow capacity and network with your peers because we are all so individually busy and we have been sold a, a model of competitiveness that we have leaned into, and we're slow to turn. We're slow to realize our only strength is in collectivity. And right now, if you are not out somewhere making something change, then I'm hoping that you're packing and you've chosen where you're going to go because unless we push back, we're not going to be here. The writing's on the wall. So I'm going to go hit the streets for a minute and uh, bug some of my fellow artists and tell them to pay attention to, to some of this other work that I'm doing, the advocacy work that I'm doing, the organizing work that I'm doing, and to come to the table with me so that we can assure ourselves that we'll be able to make art here tomorrow and the year after that. I'm also going into production mode for BAMFest 2020. Um, BAMFest is the largest event that's ever happened in the Black Arts District. Um, in February of this year, we programmed 28 consecutive days with art and culture and collaboration with other art makers. Um, this year, we are moving our festival to August. We are moving our festival to August because August is a very political month. You know the history of, of, of Black August. And because mm-hmm. February is a very crowded month with lots of other events, and we do top-shelf work, we want you to pay attention to us. So we want to make it a little easier. And we also want to amplify the history and the legacy of, of Black August because it's part of the story of the Black Arts Movement because we understand that art and cultural preservation and cultural making is inherently political and we're about making change. So we're going to hold court for the entire month of August with a bunch mm-hmm. of cultural events, and we will be bringing to the stage our second uh, installation in our second run through the August mm-hmm. Wilson Century Cycle. We'll be producing Joe Turner's Coming Gone. Okay. So that is how we will finish the season. In February, mm-hmm. instead of doing the festival, I'm doing a project mm-hmm. called Here, where I'm pairing murals down here in West Oakland, an example, the Risa Sine mural. And um, I'm going to pair, I'm going to find a site by Isurundi Day and probably commission mm-hmm. something by J- Jalil and Zinga, who did the one-liners. And mm-hmm. then I'm going to put, um, I'm going to interview the artists about the work, why they put it, where it is, etc., what it means mm-hmm. to them. And mm-hmm. then I'm going to do things like drop Tongo Ayasin, myself, and Adimu Madyun in front of those sites and do live performances and mm-hmm. uh, feed feed the community and have a free community show, site-specific. And mm-hmm. those things will be happening before the end of 2019. And that will, of course, okay. create artifacts, pictures, mm-hmm. video that I will then take and make into an installation in the flight deck during Black History Month. The project is called Here. And so here, 
is the meaning of the project turns on the name. Like when they called your name in school and you said, here? Okay, I mm-hmm. want them to know we here. We here. We paying attention. We are here. We are present here. Mm-hmm. All this site-specific work takes place in the lower bottoms. So we here, this is the site that history was made. This is where we put a, a spike in the ground and we made a stand here, mm-hmm. okay? And then, yeah. Oh, so that's going to yeah. happen this year, um, but you don't have a date yet when you're going to be having the site this site-specific. Will happen, will happen this year, and it's actually going to happen as soon as I can put it up. Um, I am going to Virginia with Kat Brooks to do some more research about uh, Natasha McKenna. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when I get back, um, I'm going to start scheduling these sites specific performances and you'll hear about it there'll be okay you know, great social, yeah i totally want to yeah. make sure i, I i'm on the, i want to be in the place when it happens i don't want to see the artifact i want to say oh, yeah yeah there. so if you come down <laughs> and, and you do that you need to become a part of the artifact mm-hmm. you see yes, exactly because you'll be there mm-hmm. and we're the right. thing you know we're, we're, yeah so you'll be a part of the artifact yeah mm-hmm. right nice nice and so that's that's this year and um, and in February, you said you're going to have a, um, an installation, installation at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you having any, any? Okay. Okay. I was going to have a live performance. So you'll okay. get Congo Ice, and you'll get me, and you'll get Adimu Madgoon, and whatever musical compilation he wants to put together. Um, we'll probably mm-hmm. include Ocean Sami, Wambi and Jerry, mm-hmm. the Warrior Woman, and we're going to mm-hmm. put together a show for you. And mm-hmm. you'll have the installation and you'll have a live show. That will happen mm-hmm. in Black History Month. And then the next time you see us um, in something formal will be Joe Turner's coming on. Yeah. Okay. Also, we'll be on uh, the women of Ear Ear will be on the Cal Shakes stage for Life is Living next weekend. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, Cal Shakes stage. So um, are you all doing. Um, some of the work. Um, I don't. I I think that Cat is electing to do. I, this is more like a spoken word showcase. Oh, the three of okay. us together, all doing fireworks. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm going to write something new. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, Cat knows what she's doing. Kai may do something from the show. I'm not sure. Mhm. Okay. Oh, nice, nice. Do you know what time you all are going to be on the Cal Shake stage? <laughs> I think we're on at eleven forty. Eleven forty, okay. At uh, at Life Is Living. Yes, the Fermi Park, same as always. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, and I was wondering, um, before you go, um, if you could um give your website again, and um, and if you could um give us a poem, um, like I mentioned in the uh, email, uh, Ebona Kanke was mentioning um a poem that you do for the ancestors that she really loves. But I'm thinking you might have a lot of poems for the ancestors, so I don't know. If that's yeah, enough, I, if, I, if I that's enough descriptors, like yeah. what is what, what poem? Does it have a name? <laughs> yeah, that that would have helped. But um, I kind of do ancestor work, you know. I know. I so know exactly. I, I got something for you that um I okay. think is perfect. It kind of... Uh, mm-hmm. 
it, it sets the context for the conversation we've been having. And while I pull that up, I'm going to give you that website, www. Okay. Uh-huh. Lower bottom players. Players is spelled P L A Y A Z dot com. Okay. Lower yeah. bottom and, players uh, dot com. Yeah. And I wanted to what else did I Oh, I wanted to also tell you that we are um uh, editing a um anthology for the thirtieth anniversary of the uh, celebration of African American poets and their poetry. And um so I wanted to invite you to submit something um, to the I've anthology and to oh I already okay submitted. yeah better check your email don't you leave me out okay, <laughs> okay. this one is called oh okay water rights oh water, water rights okay okay cool mhm here we go okay. ain't nobody's business what me and the water talks about but. If you listening, you know there are layers beneath the surface, and more than the top glisten, a lifetime of miles below the glassy top. Bone white ancestors freed by graceful dives into the oblivion. Phantoms of divination whisper to the living. Water is a conductor. I am a listener, listening as salt water reflecting the ocean glistens as it glides down the face turned towards the song from the boneyard. Divination floats, tastes like songs of fire on the wind, singing perfect storms to guide me in the whirlwind. I, of three eyes, no beginning, no end of dog stars and oceans scattered like sand. Languishing, Ethiopia has set wing to be brought to root in blood-soaked ground in foreign lands. Guided by prayer, seeking to follow Hulu de Mare wherever we are scattered, reinvented, inverted, resilient, May the circle be unbroken, faith unshattered, one voice in the water. I hear them. The message never falters, persistent, as the waves beat the shore. Blood calls to blood. There's a hunger in the cry. Only justice can satisfy. History can be made to lie, but the water testifies. Ancestors wait, my thirsty souls reply. Tears sizzle in the fire, burning in open eyes. Heart can barely hold the pain, living awake and sane amongst the dead and maimed, suffering the weight of this sad refrain. We still dying, living blind, just holding on. Most of went insane. The water can't hear, the blind can't hear, the lame don't talk. Been a long time since the deaf did more than walk. We march at the mercy of misguided gatekeepers, lower lords, deliverers of misery. Arundi Day say, we cut, we bleed. Do us a picture. We still lost our way. They poisoned the milk and honey. Food sells soul for money. 
Fanon's warriors, without a war, kill each other on a field surrounded by bankers, drawing red lines in sand, soaked by the blood of immigrants and the souls they stole. Grave robbers rule the world. Morticians profit. Privatized pirates plunder the tales of blackbirds, bitterly airbrushed into the by and by. Untold, they still struggle to fly. And though I know it makes water cry, I can't lie, we still dying. The bones still wait. Blood still calls blood. The tide is coming, deliberate, insistent on memory. Who pushed who first? The water knows. Ain't nobody business what we talks about. But if you listening, Remember the songs of fire. Remember tide returns. Remember we remember. Remember water is a conductor, but fire can heal or destroy. Remember. Mm. Yeah. I remember when um, your character uh, shared that piece. Yeah. yeah. My character wow. didn't read that poem. Hmm? Pardon me? My character did not read that poem. That poem is not in the play. It's not? Okay, because I thought, I thought one of your characters talked about the water. Okay. Um, One of them does. Um, Glory oh, okay. talks about... Um, and there's a lot of talk about the graveyard in the ocean. And, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Um, again, the water. I believe all artists actually, you know, you heard, you heard me say my practice <laughs> has been male-centric because right. of all of the production of Wilson. And that now deliberately I am amplifying female voices. The thing about that, mm-hmm. though, what I talk about never actually mm-hmm. changes. I firmly believe that every artist is in <laughs> one conversation. They merely alliterated in different ways. Mm-hmm. I'm always talking about black people thriving. I'm always talking mm-hmm. about black life being enough for everything. I'm always mm-hmm. trying to center black life. And my, I'm a follower of Ifa. I mm-hmm. am connected to an animistic system of belief. And for me, there are, are certain symbols. That, that run throughout the work. I often say one of these days I'll be read widely enough to where people will pick up the things. What you're picking up is the fact that my conversation is the same. I'm, I'm Again, I'm talking about the graveyard in the ocean. I'm talking mm-hmm. about water and its, its symbolism in our lives, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, thanks for the compliment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing sharing the poem, too. Um, yeah, and, and thanks for the work with, you know, really, really, um, you know, applause, applause for EIEA. That was, that was just really an experience that um, for those of us that were able to, um, to, to get all of it, you know, because I actually was one of those people that's like, oh, I don't think I can see Tasha again because, you know, Tasha – you know, you um, helped. You know, di- you directed and helped develop it for um, uh, for the uh, Fringe, the Fringe Festival, mm-hmm. where I think Cat got 
best of friends, right? Mhm. Yeah, yep. yeah. And so it's like but but the way that you staged it was for our people. Um the the set at the exit theater was not the set that we we walked into the healing space that you created as as artistic director of Lower Bottom Players. You knew we needed to be able to to be able to if people trusted um your vision and trusted uh the process, we would have known she's not gonna be like tossing us out there and then letting us drown, right? So yeah. you know, from <laughs> you know, from having um you know, one line and and having the protection shields and having mm-hmm. the fire. But then also having the ancestors right there. We saw all those young and all those women holding mm-hmm. the space for all of mm-hmm. the people. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. okay. And then and you know, and yeah. then having a you know, having a shotgun for the second and third, that was that didn't hurt, you know, 'cause you gotta you gotta actually, you know, you don't just pray. You gotta work you gotta like take some action yourself. So anyway, yeah. Um yeah, it was just, just really, really beautiful and I'm happy that I uh I went back into the theater when Kat was was telling that story 'cause I'm like, Oh, I don't know if I can sit through that again. So I was like in the lobby and you can hear in the lobby. I'm like, Well if I'm gonna be in the lobby and I can hear it anyway, let me just go on back in the theater. <laughs> I'm glad you did, too. And that's the thing about one person's show. They're organic. I imagine Mm -hmm. that this trip we're about to take to Virginia may change, Tasha, you know? Mm -hmm. Right, right. I imagine as uh, Kai harvests the lessons from Too Much Woman for This World, and Mm -hmm. as she continues to have life experiences and current events happen, that that Mm -hmm. story will grow. And I think the same right. for, for glory. Mhm. Right. Yeah. So you know, there has to be another iteration of it at some point for us to see how it changes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that would be great. Yeah, Kyrie. Well, you um, haven't seen the last of Ear Ears House. I think Ear oh, Ears House good. has become its own brand, and there's no telling cool. what he might bring you. Okay. Mhm. Okay. Oh. Yeah, Kyrie. She um she apologized for missing our conversation, so I told her. We'll we'll have her on next week. Um, yeah, some things came up, but um, yeah, thank you so much. Um, and look forward to seeing you in the world. And uh, yeah, really appreciate the work you do. Really appreciate it. You take care. Thank you for the airtime, and I'll see you in the world. Hey, look for Alrighty. my coins I submitted. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking for it. <laughs> Doing right. search right Bye-bye. now. All right, peace mm-hmm. and blessings. <laughs> All righty, so we're going to end with uh, uh, Thio and the Get Down, Stay Down, uh, We the Common. Peace and blessings. Thanks so much for joining us. Tune in for another edition of Wanda's Picks uh, Wednesday, next Wednesday, 8 to 10 Pacific Time. About my youth, would it come to me? Oh, love, won't you bite my eye? I'm in-
Then they just took me Hold my camera. 